traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. Coming to you from the location of this year's May 1st, May Day, Law Day celebration. Welcoming the new wave of case law and an even nicer weather pattern. Welcome, everybody. Today, we are going to be dealing with some of the more bizarre areas of legal practice, the legal twilight zone, where truth can be stranger than fiction. So let's get started. Sentencing for a mandatory persistent felony offender convicted of an E violent felony offense. There is no specific statute for such sentencing, and yet there is a sentencing scheme. Now, the statutory guidelines for VFO mandatory persistent felony offenders do not contain any sentencing rules for a defendant convicted of an EVFO. Take a look at Penal Law 70.08. Despite this fact, the defendant who would be eligible for such sentencing, meaning two previous VFO convictions that do not overlap within the last 10 years, excluding time spent incarcerated is required to be sentenced to an indeterminate life sentence based upon holdings by the Court of Appeals in two separate decisions. The core rule for all sentencing is that it must be based on statutes enacted by the legislature. The courts are not permitted to establish sentencing guidelines on their own. Yet in these two Court of Appeals decisions, the courts seem to determine such sentencing is permitted. This legislation by decisional law determination appears to be totally at odds with all of the appellate cases which prohibit the courts from correcting or perceiving oversights or errors by the legislature and attempting to fix them in their decisional law. See, for example, the case of People v. Parker, a First Department case from 1979 that was reversed on the dissenting opinion of Judge Harold Burns in 1981 based on this very premise. With that said, the Court of Appeals in the two decisions addressing our present issue, People v. Green and People v. Tolbert, addressed the legislature's oversight in not including the EVFOs in the statute for VFO persistent sentencing. Now, needless to say, the decision does not characterize their holding as judicial legislation, but the reality of it is that there is a specific legislation identifying such sentencing and there is no reference to EVFOs while all the other VFOs are identified and sentencing parameters are specified. Our next strange but true issue is that the people, not the defense, who should receive the benefit of the doubt in evidentiary and other legal rulings made by the court where the people have no appellate review rights. In virtually all aspects of criminal practice, the defendant is given the benefit of the doubt whenever there is a question of fact being decided by the jury and rightly so. When the court is determining a legal issue as to the admissibility of evidence, however, it is the people who are given the benefit of the doubt if they have no area of appellate review to decide the court has erred in not permitting the people to introduce certain evidence. In the case of People v. Reed, a 1937 Court of Appeals decision that is still good law today, the court wrote, While the defendant under our criminal procedure is entitled to the benefit of every reasonable doubt on the facts, the people should be entitled to any reasonable doubt a trial judge may have upon the law. For, if he or she makes a mistake on the law, the people have no opportunity or method of reviewing the ruling. As strange as that may seem to us in this enlightened day, 
The defendant for a wrong ruling may always appeal the case for a review to a higher court. The people have no such privilege, except as herein stated. Trial justices in criminal cases, therefore, should bear this in mind when ruling upon points of law. Our next point is that a defendant who is an eligible predicate felony offender cannot be so sentenced when his or her present felony conviction is for intoxicated driving. Now, while the seriousness of intoxicated driving has not been overlooked by the courts or the legislature in general, the construction of the sentencing schemes for defendants presently convicted of intoxicated driving, see, for example, VTL 1192, with a previous felony conviction, does not permit the defendant to be sentenced as a predicate felony offender. The first felony conviction in determining if a defendant is eligible for predicate felony offender sentencing may be a felony committed virtually anywhere as long as the felony is equivalent to a felony in New York State. See Penal Law Section 70.06 Subdivision 1B. Thus, a felony found in any of the chapters of the Consolidated Laws of New York may serve as the first or predicate felony conviction, for example, VTL laws, penal law, and so forth. However, the statute also directs in 70.061a that the present felony may only be one, quote, defined in this chapter. Therefore, what they mean by that is only convictions for crimes found in the penal law are permitted to be used as the second or present conviction for which enhanced predicate felony sentencing is permitted. The next point is that when all the parties to a plea make an error in believing the defendant was pleading to a felony but was in fact pleading to a misdemeanor, once the defendant was improperly sentenced to one and a half to three years, the only remedy available is a resentencing of the defendant to a proper misdemeanor sentence. The court does not have the authority to vacate the plea. Now, the people have the right to challenge the illegality of a sentence within one year of the imposition of the sentence, but the validity of the underlying conviction is unaffected. In the case of Matter of Kisloff v. Covington, a 1989 Court of Appeals case, the defendant was permitted to plead to an A misdemeanor. Penal Law 110-15530, which all the parties believed at the time was an e-felony, but was and is an A misdemeanor. This misdemeanor plea was also an illegal plea based on the statute, which prohibits a plea to a misdemeanor to satisfy a felony indictment when the defendant is a predicate felon, which the defendant was in this case. The defendant was sentenced to an agreed-upon sentence of one and a half to three years. After the sentence, the defense then appealed the illegality of the sentence. Court of Appeals held. In the case at bar, it appears that both the agreed-to plea and sentence were illegal. The plea, because the defendant, a predicate felon, was permitted to plead to what, in fact, was a misdemeanor offense in full satisfaction of the indictment in violation of CPL 220.10 sub 5c, and the sentence, because the Supreme Court directed defendants serve felony time for this misdemeanor plea. Once defendant's sentence was imposed and the judgment was entered, his plea could not be disturbed based upon the party's mutual mistake, since no statutory basis exists for settling aside such a plea, and courts have no inherent powers to vacate a plea and sentence over defendant's objection where the error goes beyond mere clerical errors apparent on the face of the record, and where the proceeding has terminated. 
by the entry of judgment. We have received a number of communications, including some of the items we've mentioned today from your colleagues, identifying areas that seem strange but are true, which they have experienced. If any of you have such cases that you've dealt with, please send us an email or let us know so we can share it with everybody else. As always, our thanks to our crack producer and man about to be enjoying this beautiful spring weather, Jonathan Marconi Crispino. To all of you out there, enjoy the May weather, be well, and stay ready, my friends. Faces come out of the rain when you're strange. No one remembers your name when you're strange, when you're strange, when you're